Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening. Welcome to episode 126 of the Life in Red podcast. A reminder, December 9th, I'm giving a talk on mental health with NextGen Eastern Ontario as well as Impact Hub Ottawa. It's virtual. You can listen anywhere. We're going to be talking about uh, my journey, stuff I've learned, supporting people, and most importantly, supporting ourselves, especially in a difficult time that we're in now with so much social unrest, so much, you know, we're we're in that season of seasonal depression and uh, seasonal de- affective disorder. Uh, pandemic is still raging on. Um, so you can register, link in my bio. It's uh, at Life in Red Podcast or at Big Red Ryan Zero One on social media platforms. My guest today, and we're continuing to meet all of our unsinkable fellow unsinkable community champions. And uh, this was a tough, this was a tough episode to get through. Um, it was a very heavy story, but also a very enlightening and inspiring story. And the things we talk about, it's all encompassing under this one journey. But it starts with. Um, restorative justice. And I will warn you, there is a trigger warning on this episode for sexual assault and rape. So if that will trigger you, please, um, you skip kind of the first part if you'd like and get to the the second half of the episode. But uh, that's what we focus on at start and the journey her and her daughter went through on the restorative justice process and what that all entailed and how healing that ended up being. Uh, and as part of that story, we get to her later journey into anti anti aging and this idea of our system and marketing and the patriarchy on how it plays on um, not wanting us to age, which is a very natural part of life. Um, and we talk about mental health, um, toxic masculinity, all these things. It was a really great episode, a really enlightening conversation. I probably could have went on for hours and hours if uh, we had the time. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. So please give it up for my guest, Barbie Liss. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole Continuing to meet my fellow Unsinkable Community Champions, uh, and Barbie, it's so nice to meet you. I know you're kind of new to the, I don't, it's been a couple months now, has it? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm uh, kind of new, but yeah, feeling yeah, the so, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's very nice to finally meet you. Uh, we connected over a Zoom, and I think once we, even though it was very kind of, um, you know, we had like two minutes or whatever to share our stories. We both kind of connected instantly on what we were both saying. So it's, it's just a pleasure to welcome you. Yeah, thank um, you. So you are uh, a mental health advocate. And before we get into your mental health story, uh, you're also an anti-aging coach. Uh, and I'm just kind of curious what that is. So I'm an anti-anti-aging coach. Oh, okay. I missed the anti. Okay. Yeah. So to me, that is, and this will back into my story when we get into it, but I am a person who, um, because of my story challenges societal conditioning and everything that we've just blankly accepted my generation, especially along the way. And now here we are like accepting these anti-aging messages, which 
I mean, let's peel that apart. Like what's the actual message behind anti-aging is like, don't do it. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm anti all that. Um, and I am speaking the voice of claiming aging and, and taking our years and celebrating them and embracing them and, and stepping into the power of who we are rather than, you know, disappearing in a society that makes us a bit invisible once we've hit 50 or 60 or whatever. Right. So yeah, I'm anti the whole anti-aging message. Okay. Yes. Um, interesting. And that is a very interesting topic, especially the way, you know, I come from a media background and the way media treats women, especially like women on TV, women in film, um, all that stuff uh, when it comes to aging. Um, very interesting. So we're going to get into that. But as you referenced, your story led you to this point in your life. So in your own words, take us through where did your story begin into becoming this, this advocate, this speaker, and this, this, you know, just extremely passionate person? Yeah. So I would say the passionate part was probably from birth, um, (laughs) made of love and compassion, whatever, but my actual own personal healing journey began five years ago. Um, my youngest daughter who was 21 at the time was raped and that launched me into, I say there's three parts to that story, hers, mine, and ours. Um, I'm going to just focus on mine right now. Um, it led me onto a path of, um, besides all the personal healing and learning how to support somebody through, through trauma, it led me onto my own path of secondary trauma and, um, asking myself the question, like, how are we a society where this happens? Mm. And, and like, like I say, the short story is (laughs) um, that went into, um, I became a life coach and an energy healer. And I dove deep into generational wound healing, which led me into societal conditioning and healing so greatly needed from generations of patriarchal messaging and how that's damaged both men and women and the messaging that we just absorbed and passed along through generations that has led to rape culture. And then just with that same interest and passion and need to bring awareness to societal conditioning, it it just sort of kept evolving. And um, I turned 60 this past summer. And I think my year 59 was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, look what's coming and looking around at my friends and everybody who's going to be turning 60. And I thought like, where did that anti-aging message come from? Why are we so afraid to get old? Why am I having 30 and 40 year old women reach out to me saying like, I'm already afraid of getting older. Like you're 30, like it's not even close to over, you know? And I thought we need to, you know, when I was, and I do, um, other story too, but I speak passionately and advocate for restorative justice and societal healing of condition that we've been taught when it came to rape culture and and healing from that perspective. I have the same passion now of healing for my own generation, who I call the because I said so era, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we were told because I said so was an answer. And, you know, we were children that were seen and not heard. And we were literally taught not to question anything. Right. So we didn't. And now here we are, this generation being told, like, you know, for the love of God, don't get old. Right. And I, what I found was the ripple of that. So the damage that it does to my own 
generation, women in particular, because men are allowed to age, <laughs> just we aren't, um, the damage that it did to us on an individual level, but the ripple effect downwards, because now we're leading by example of fear and denial rather than leading by example of empowered wisdom and guidance, right? So it's rippled down to our daughters who now fear getting older. So, you know, on the same, I split my, my societal conditioning passion. I'm always an advocate for restorative justice and healing that patriarchal gender divide um, and for healing the message that we absorbed about aging and learning to celebrate it rather than fear it. Mm. A lot of interesting stuff to unpack there. Um, but mm-hmm. I want to go back to that five years ago mm-hmm. and what happened, the, the so unfortunate event with your daughter. What was your knowledge before then of, of mental health, of this system, like were you completely, you know, kind of just blind to it and just living your life through it? And then this moment happened and then you got all into it. Were you always sort of questioning things? And then just, this just kind of lit the fire as you started to unpack, you know, not only your own wounds, but I, like you kind of mentioned those societal wounds. Like what was your life leading up to that point of five years ago? I love that question. Um, yeah, no one's gone that question. I love that. So <laughs> I would say I've always been a highly compassionate person. I've always held space and compassion to people's stories and, you know, had an awareness of, you know, the mental health industry and and everything. But, you know, we hear lines and we just sort of hear the lines, but I don't think it was until I was impacted personally that the lines took on a whole new meaning. And, you know, like all the, um, for me, the awareness of what's called secondary trauma that people don't know a lot about, which is really the trauma of witnessing someone you love suffer through trauma. So the trauma that I experienced watching my daughter struggle to choose to exist or not was like beyond what I could manage. And I, I come back to sometimes that analogy. I don't know if you've ever heard that analogy of the woman who holds the car up so her baby won't get squished under it like you find the strength but while I was holding the car up I was sinking and um ended up getting help for myself which is another you know societal thing for women that I always was the strong one you know the one who could stand up brush it off take care of it deal with it whatever and like until I couldn't and then the idea of like mental health and all those things that we hear about you know, taking care of you and self-care, like it took on a whole new meaning for me. And I, and I offer it in my work today, like they, what does it actually mean to take care of yourself and why it's so important and how that ripples downward? Because I like that you asked about my own wounding, like witnessing my daughter's reaction to my responses was like a window to my own wounding. And that opened my whole healing journey. Right. We, you know, as a, as a woman and and as a mother, and I, I think back to conversations I've had in this podcast with, with mothers, um, you are often viewed as the binding factor of the family, right? You're supposed to be the strong figurehead. I mean, if we're looking back at those traditional societal values, 
the man goes to work and makes the money and, and the, the woman and the mother hold together the family. You're meant to bear the brunt of the kids, of your husband's struggles as well. And I, I often think back to my own mom and I'm like, where was the time to look after yourself as not only a mother, but as a woman and as an individual mm-hmm. and to hear you talk about, you know, sinking and then having your daughter like look back at what you were going through. I mean, that just must like that. I just, I don't really have a word or words to that just really, if really hits me. It was, um, I think women are taught or were taught my generation for sure was taught like that. Exactly what you said. We are the glue. We hold it up. Like my own, my mother's, my mother and grandmother, they were taught, you know, it's all please your man. It's all about the man. And Mm -hmm. if my generation wasn't as adamantly like please man we were still there we weren't all working yet we weren't all right we were still like it was still the man did this and the kids and and you know those those of us that were at home moms we did hold the fort together but I work with many women today in my age group who now the kids have grown and moved out and they're like lost right right Right. Because, and I remember this myself. I remember standing in my kitchen that first night. I was now not with my ex anymore. The kids had all, and I stood there thinking, like, now what? Right. And many of the women that I work with are um, in that space. And, you know, you can't, you have to refill your cup. You have to refill your cup because. We give, we give, we give, we give. And we do it from an absolute place of love. Like I wouldn't have changed that for a minute. I will still give to my kids like in a heartbeat, but I need to take time to refill me because if I'm depleted, I can't, I don't have nothing to give, right? And there's a whole lot of women out there that are just like depleted from giving forever and not receiving back. I think it was slightly different when, when my daughter came back home to me. So after that, um, it was just her and I in the house. She was my youngest. The other two were already out. I wasn't with my ex anymore. And it was just, we literally created this cocoon um, in our space. That was just this very healing environment. And, but everything that was intuitive to me as a mom, as her mom specifically, and it wasn't working, didn't work anymore. She was in a very different state. She was, you know, kind of catatonic and not verbal for a while. And like, we had to find a whole new way of communicating and it was life-changing. It was life-changing um, on so many levels because it, like I said, it drew awareness to my own wounds that if I would respond to her in some way and she couldn't handle it, I noticed that my response, it was my need. It, it wasn't, necessarily her need and then I had to look into like why am I responding to her pushback that's that's on me where's that coming from and you know it was kind of a mirror into wounding and and I went back to do my own childhood work and and my own generally generational wound healing and you know we created a space the two of us over those few years of healing where it we learned both of us a lot about communication and a lot about um, holding space and a lot about our own healing, like deeper and and back. And yeah, that was the catalyst for my my journey to where I am today. That and her case was the first in North America to conclude with a restorative justice outcome. 
um, for a sexual violence um, case. And um, that was like the culmination of all the years of healing in this one huge validating proof that I've always thought, but was seen as naive <laughs> that like we can heal through love and, and forgiveness and compassion. And there is space for healing over what we know to be our justice system, which is not. And yeah, that whole story was completely life-changing and altering and, and healing and walked me right to all that I offer today. Mm-hmm. Um, restorative justice is a, is a kind of a new concept that actually just came to me. And before our conversation, I was trying to remember what show or documentary I was watching where it came up. Um, and I want to, I definitely want to touch on that, but just before quickly, how is your daughter doing today? Um, mm-hmm. you've, you've referenced her and I know she has her own story that, uh, is hers, but like, just, I, I'm, I'm sure we're all curious. Like, is she, uh, is she doing okay? She's amazing. She is my hero, my warrior, my goddess. She is healed because we learned what healing really means. And she healed from a very soul level. And she today is also a coach. She works with women who are looking to reclaim their own sensuality post-trauma. And she's also an advocate for restorative justice and speaking and yeah, she's doing amazing. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. Um, mm-hmm. When we, you, you mentioned something I think we all know, but we don't necessarily talk about or acknowledge as much. And I think it's super imperative as we're, we're in a pandemic, you know, where we're viewing so many different emergencies on social media and on the news, whether it's the climate emergencies. I mean, we look at what's happening in BC with the flooding. We look at what happened with um, Indigenous uh, communities and and the resurfacing of finding children's bodies. We think about all the things happening around the world. Uh, George Floyd is this idea of that residual trauma. Mm -hmm. And when we see a number on a news or a statistic or that somebody died, a lot of us would be like, oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's awful. That's terrible. But we never clue into the ripple effect of mm-hmm. how many people down the line you, that it's affecting. Like when you see someone die of COVID, you know, it's like, that's so sad. But they were maybe a father, a mother, a mm-hmm. grandson, a grandparent, a cousin, friend, coworker, mm-hmm. partner. Like there's just so many different people in your life that you know and can affect when, you know, you're lost. And what I'm curious about is after you discovered this concept and you've mentioned about refilling your cup and your healing journey, what sorts of things did you do to heal those wounds? There's so many layers to what you just said. So (laughs) I'm going to like try to get to all of it. I I want to start with um, just a tiny explanation of restorative justice. And that is that restorative justice focuses on repair over punishment. It looks to heal a situation and transform it rather than punish as our punitive system does. And it honors the ripple effect of a crime, Mm. right? So I'm a ripple. I'm a ripple whose life changed that day, never to be the same, right? So it ripples. So what our restorative justice circle looked like, and in restorative justice, you would, it would, it's up to the the voice, there's a voice for the survivor, the victim, which is 
not at all our punitive system either. Um, mm-hmm. What that looked like for us is we sat in what ended up being an eight hour circle of um, my daughter and her assailant. And each of them was invited to bring people that were the ripple effect in their story. And we each met with the mediators the day before individually. And what impacted me so much was the mediator saying to me, we need you to speak from a place of I, not to go in tomorrow and say, this is what you did to my daughter. She felt this, she felt this, but say to him, this is what you did to me because of what you did to my daughter. Right? So that ripple is hugely impactful. Right. And so my story was hugely impactful to him. Right. And how my life changed and, and it did, it did change my, my work life changed, my social life changed. I literally zoomed right in here. Like, you know, everybody else was let go. I zoomed right in here. I, I was working at the time at a, at a women's gym, the personal trainer for years in that space. And um, my clients knew that if, we had a different text sound. She had a different text sound than anyone else. And if that sound went, I might just get up and leave at any given moment. Um, we had, you know, cues and clues. We had emojis. If she was nonverbal, like send me this emoji and, and I'll come home and like, you know, whatever it meant, my own self-care had to be, um, you know, when I teach self-care modalities today, there's, there's many, there's, you know, there's journaling, there's meditation, there's, there's dance, there's movement, there's music, there's walking in nature, there's a bath, whatever it is that brings you back to your own center, to your own peace, to your own breath that can like calm your body. I couldn't do that in front of her, which was a bit of a head, like a bit of a, it it was a bit confusing. I couldn't show my trauma in front of her because she couldn't handle my trauma at that time. Now she pushes me to tell my story, but at the Mm -hmm. time I couldn't react. I couldn't cry. I couldn't nothing. I, I, because she couldn't handle it. So my self-care had to be done privately. So ultimately I did get help because I realized this was bigger than me. And I, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, no, no, I got this. And then I like really didn't have this. And I think it was the first time probably in my life that I said to a friend of mine, I'm not okay. Mm. And I think her answer was like, well, that took a while, (laughs) right? Like we were waiting for that. And, and I did go speak to somebody just, and and actually I said to her, um, I don't recognize myself right now because I'm the strong one. I'm the one who can do this. And, And she said to me, um, let me get this straight. She said, she goes, your, your daughter's been raped and you're, you're her support. And you think you're coming apart and that's weakness, but you're sitting here in my office telling me this. And she goes, where's the weak part. And that was like really life-changing for me because I thought like, you know what, there is so much strength in leaning into your healing journey that takes so much more strength than standing up and brushing it off truly. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm here to redefine strength for anybody who believes that strength means, you know, you stand up, brush it off and you got this because that's easy. What's not easy is sitting in it 
and and leaning into it and feeling through it and really letting it heal truly heal you know so for me it was going outside to to get help or in moments when I was alone I would come home and like I remember like leaving the my condo in darkness and just lighting candles and just playing soft music. And I think I just sat there for a while or I did some sketching and I just did some, you know, just I needed to just bring my body back down from this energy that was just mm. too much, you know, it, it was too much. So I had to find a way to, <laughs> to make it through it. And, and I had to stay I had to keep it together because if I didn't, she'd go down too. And that couldn't happen. Right. But I, I bet that, that pressure, like you just, that would just be almost insurmountable. Obviously it was surmountable, but you know, the feeling of uncertainty, yeah. will this get better? Like that's a lot to take on, especially when you have to do it more privately. Yeah, it it was a lot, not going to (laughs) lie. It was a lot. And I think the thing with secondary trauma, and I don't know if any of your listeners have experienced it, and I'm going to give this as a big permission giver, it's, um, there's guilt in it. Mm. You know, you, you feel guilty that, you know, you shouldn't be having, you can't claim trauma when somebody else is the one who's experienced the action. And it's not true you are experiencing secondary trauma, which is the trauma of your loved one experiencing trauma and witnessing that is traumatic. What I experienced was traumatic and the fear factor and, and just watching her become at for a while, like it, it wasn't her and I didn't know how to get her back. And, and yeah, you feel guilty for, for feeling that and you're not seen in that way. So I think, everybody would say to me, you know, how's Marley doing? And I think, you know what, they should ask that first. They a hundred percent should ask that first, but nobody ever said to me, like, how are you? Right. Right. And I'm like, not okay. Right. Like you're not, it's not a seen thing because you're not the one who suffered the trauma. So it's a very lonely, scary, um, space to be in with not a lot of information out there, which is why I offer everything I do today, because I know there's moms or any allies or people that are supporting, you know, support for the supporter, because it's a very real need. Mm, I've like just an incredible point. I really hope people sit with that and really think about it because it's absolutely true. hundred um, percent yeah. true. This, so Restorative justice. I'm glad that you explained it. My introduction, and again, I can't remember the movie or documentary, but it was um, a gentleman who was in kind of a gang fight and then got stabbed. Um, and then they met with kind of everyone who was there in that circle you were talking about. And I think this idea of restorative justice is not explored, but the way you described it is so profound, especially for sexual violence, because like you said, and like we all know, the the criminal justice system is not forgiving to survivors you are questioned you are gaslighted you are put on a spot of constantly reliving and trying to prove your 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 trauma your assaults and that's why you see now most people don't even go to the police and yeah. go for charges they just share it on social media and then let the community 
do its work. So for those who aren't familiar with it, I know you don't have to go into specifics of your general case, um, but that experience, what was sort of the things happening? I know you touched a little bit on it, but just for people who really don't know what it's like to go through that. Yeah, thank you. This is this is something that I, I definitely speak to bring awareness to. Um, and for a while, my daughter and I had started a nonprofit after our restorative justice circle um, to bring awareness to restorative justice because we did do the whole prelim trial thing. And it was, like you said, like super ugly and re-traumatizing. And, you know, it, there's really like, to me, there's never a reason why the victim should be question. She's, she's a victim, but whatever. Um, that's what our system is. And, um, restorative justice is actually in the Canadian bill of rights, but no one seems to know that. And she pushed, my daughter pushed to have this outcome. And she was given a lot of push back. Like the court system didn't want it. The judge didn't want it. And she pushed for it. Um, because of a belief that I share with her, um, my belief is that everyone has a story, right? Nobody's born a bad person, right? We have a story. So what, what took you to do this ugly thing, right? And um, restorative justice focuses on healing that rather than punishing. So to me, our punitive system is a constant cycle of repeated hurt people, hurt people, nothing changes. They, they go to prison or don't, and they either sit there and get angrier and they come out and they can't get a job and they can't like their life is, and it happens again and they go back in and it's just this constant repeat restorative justice. So in our case, what that meant was he was mandated to therapy he had to do, he did about eight months, I think, but our circle wasn't going to happen until his therapist felt he was ready for the circle to happen. And he mm -hmm. did consent courses and he did like whatever he had to take. And when his therapist felt he was ready, we sat in this circle, which again, ended up being about eight hours. And um, what it looked like was there was two mediators who led the circle with, with one question and then they stepped out. And that one question kept us going for eight hours. And the question was, what brings you here today? And then there was a talking piece and whoever had the talking piece was the only one speaking and it went around the circle. So he was the last one to speak. Now, remember we were there for about eight hours. It was several hours in before he got to speak. And my older daughter spoke first. She was, it was, she was there. My oldest daughter, she spoke first for about 45 minutes. Then my daughter, who was the survivor, she spoke for probably an hour or more. And then someone else spoke. And then I spoke for well over an hour. Everybody, I call that round, like the soul vomit round, you know, like everything that was sitting in us for three years, this was three years post-rape now. Right. Mm -hmm. My daughter said to me from the beginning, I just, I just want him to look me in the eye and tell me how he could do this to another human. She got to ask him, right? She got to ask him and, and I got to ask him all the things I wanted to ask. And then we went around three times. It was um, the third round was really, does anybody have anything left? And we really, they told us we'll sit here until everybody has everything out. Um, 
it was truly the most healing, transformative experience. So now you have a human who's done this extremely ugly act, who's now a better human and is going to go on to offer a better human message to the next people that walk behind him instead of, so now we've broken that cycle, right? So to me, that makes so much more sense when you bring healing and justice together in our regular court system, there's no healing. Nobody feels good. If, mm-hmm. if he got convicted, he wouldn't feel good. My daughter would receive no healing. I'd receive no healing. Nothing heals because he's sitting behind bars. Nothing changes. No one heals. And when we started our nonprofit, um, we sent a poll out there through social media. We sent a poll and it said, um, there was three questions. Has anybody, have you ever been affected by sexual assault so it's either you or someone you know right and like everybody (laughs) yes um did you report most people like 95 percent no and the third question was if you had known about restorative justice would you rather have had this as an outcome hands down everybody said yes because the truth is we don't need to seek that eye for an eye revenge thing and most survivors just want an answer like how could you? And, and what was that? And, you know, to receive accountability, to sit in a circle, like, I won't lie, when I walked in that room, I thought I was going to be sick, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sat down across from him in a circle. And, and mm-hmm. to be able to witness his face showing remorse, to see him crying, to have him look at her and take accountability and apologize for what he did, um, to share story everyone in that room to share story that is absolutely healing when you feel heard you begin to heal and you know i don't think i can say for sure not one of the seven of us who sat in that circle that day walked out not completely changed Mm. yeah that i'm that's powerful that is absolutely extremely powerful you had to ask for it and you had to push for it um why do you why do you think there's so much resistance to this idea um when it comes to our system i mean that there's so much benefit not only to the human but to the system right our courts are backed up uh, like there's just there's so much administrative stuff in this as well why why do you think there was so much pushback and continues to be i'm going to tie this back into and you'll see the thread that binds all my my purpose together. Um, I think it's that same conditioning that we don't question. We have just been handed this system forever. And so we think that's the system. That's what you do, you know, and I would get comments from people when they heard we were doing this. um, Like, yeah, but don't you think he got off easy? He did something bad. He should be punished. Right. And my answer is like, firstly, he didn't get off easy. He did a year of therapy. He had to sit in a circle for eight hours and listen to people tell him how he ruined their lives. Right. Like this is not easy. And then he had to take accountability and offer apology. Like this is not easy. Like think of any moment in a small moment in your life, you know, when you were a kid and your mom said like, go tell so-and-so your story. That wasn't easy. Right. So imagine this, right. So not easy. And then the idea of, um, an eye for an eye, you know, or, or he did something bad, he should be banished. 
um, my analogy for that is when I was a kid and my parents would say like, you know, you know, go to your room mm-hmm. and I'd like sit in my room and I'd get pissed off and like, I'd come out and nothing changed. Right. There was no lesson to be learned. It was just like, I got banished and then I wasn't banished. Right. Mm. I think that if we can undo the messages and the assumptions that we've just been handed, that this is the system. So this is how it's supposed to be. And we notice that we can't keep running into the same wall and expecting a different outcome. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Right. So if we can undo that assumed story that you did something wrong, you deserve to be punished. And we can sort of replace it with you did something wrong. Let's look at why that happened. Let's heal that wound of yours so that you don't do that again. Let's offer you a a better alternative than what that was. And let's transform that human into a better person. So now you've got change. Now you've changed something. And instead of, you know, repeated cycles, I think it's just that we are so stuck with messages and stories and methods that we've been handed for generations without question. And I think, like I would say, the the answers to me are always in questions. We need to start questioning Mm -hmm. things that have always been just accepted normatives and and start picking them apart, you know? And I think I received that message for myself when, you know, freshly post-rape, when I started hearing comments that never bothered me before, you know, like suddenly patriarchy was everywhere, right? And like comments like, boys will be boys. And mm-hmm. I thought, how many times have I said it? How many times have I heard it and laughed it off? Oh, boys will be boys. I had a son, I have a son. He was little and we'd go, oh, boys will be boys. And then, you know, there's my daughter like post-rape and I'm thinking, what the fuck? You don't, you don't get a blank excuse just because you have a penis. Like you're accountable, Mm -hmm. dude. Like boys won't just be boys. Boys will be whatever we teach our boys to be. Right. You don't just have an excuse. And I started hearing all these sayings like that or assumptions that we were given and the same goes for our punitive system we were just handed it so we accepted it that's not working yeah and only i was gonna go ahead i say in in a restorative justice setting we created change i can tell you and and you know it's not for everybody i get that and it's not for you know it's not for every case either right but in our case Mm -hmm. i can tell you without any doubt in my mind, like a hundred percent, this man is changed and he's potentially going to go on to like, maybe work with young men one day and offer them a better way. And like, he'll be a better dad one day than he would have been, you know, if we had put him behind bars, like it's, this is transformative. This is how we make change. If we want the world to be a better place, we need to be the change we want. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I was because I'm glad you kind of mentioned that that it's not every case, but a lot of things can be yes. this way. Because um, one of my questions was going to be, how much of this is you know you know mandated? Like, do they have to participate? Um, I'm sure a lot of people would be moved to participate, but it is an unfortunate reality with some mental illnesses that people just lack remorse and empathy. Maybe they you know whatever for whatever reason. Um, so I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because that like yeah. what would happen if 
That so I think that's important to know is that if you are a victim of a crime and you go to report it and the police are going to say to you two choices, do you want to press charges or do you not want to press charges? People should know there's a third choice if they want it. You can say, I'm, I, I want to have a restorative justice outcome. Mm. It, no one knows that, but it's actually in our Bill of Rights already. No one knows that. And, and even the judicial system and the lawyers, either they know it and they don't say it or they don't even know it. So we found that out. It's in the Bill of Rights. So you can you have a choice. You can press charges if you want to. You can let the whole thing go if you want to. Or you can ask for a restorative justice outcome, which is actually what's going to bring you inner peace and healing. And again, not for everybody and not for every situation. You know, if this was, you know, wasn't our case, but if this was a man who was, you know, a sociopathic serial, but, you know, like, okay, it's not going to help. It's, you know, but in our case, it a hundred percent did. And, you know, making change to me, undoing those messages that we've been handed and and you know that's the thread that binds all of what Mm -hmm. i do it it all comes back to the messages we've all been handed and and undoing it and questioning it because you know whether it's boys will be boys or anti-aging like these are things that we don't have to just you know i have friends that'll say to me well barbie that's just the way it is Mm -hmm. no but it's not like it's not we were taught that but it doesn't have to be just the way it is especially if it doesn't make sense Right. That, that's, that's what we get all the time. And that's something I love about, you know, as, as rambunctious as generation Z can be one thing I do admire about them is that they are questioning pretty much every assumption we've ever made. They're growing up in a time where that whether from gender, from sexuality to climate, to pronouns, to rate, like whatever it is, they're questioning it and they're not just accepting that, well, it is what it is. That's the way the world works. But the way the world works is it makes it extremely, extremely difficult to change some of these systems. Um, and, it, and that makes it very disheartening to, to get involved. So I've been, I've been called naive many times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually say it was our circle that proved to me that I'm not right like because I saw in the ugliest moment we healed through love and compassion so I'm not crazy um well maybe I am but I'm not in that moment right (laughs) but um I think that yes we have it is super hard to make change but I think that like I'm not going to stop spreading that awareness and I'm not going to stop sharing that message because if each day or each week or each month I can impact one person you know, or change in mindset. Like I've, I've said to people like, you know, I've, I'll talk of restorative justice and then they'll say, Hmm, I don't know. You gave me something to think about. Well, beautiful, beautiful. And then you're going to go home and over your dinner conversation last night, you're going to say, Hey, I mean that now you're just like, Hey, I had this really interesting conversation. I don't know how I feel about it, but, and now you've impacted all those people who are going to go, Hmm. Right. And slowly, slowly we ripple outwards. We ripple yeah. outwards, we ripple outwards. And you know what? That's, I think, will I see the change in my lifetime? No, but I'm planting seeds and I'm setting the groundwork for my children and my grandchildren. And I hope that my grandchildren will, you know, keep watering the seeds I plant and we keep going, right? We've come far. 
-hmm. We have, I mean, you know, my grandmother wasn't living the life I live. Right. So we've come far, but we're not there yet. And, and I, I love the the thing I want to say too, about that Gen Z mentality. And I love it. I want to comment on my own generation for that. And just the message I have for my generation for the Gen Z is, is you can't, you can't be the parent who, who worked really hard to raise a strong and independent, open-minded child, and then judge the child for all that they're doing because we taught them that because we wanted a better world. And we didn't want our parents telling us we were wrong because they did. Every generation does, right? Let them be. They're taking the torch and they're flying with it and, and learn and be open. And, you know, you spoke of pronouns and genders. Like I've learned tons because I have mm-hmm. two or three kids that live. I'm, I have, um, I have one daughter who came out during the pandemic as lesbian. I have one daughter who lives a very alternative lifestyle and a hippie commune in BC. And like, <laughs> you know, like, and I'm learning, mm-hmm. I'm learning and I'm open and I'm fascinated. And if I'm not sure of the whole pronoun thing, I'm going to ask. And if I'm not sure, like in a setting like ours, I'm going to give myself a disclaimer flat out and say, I think everybody should be able to be whoever the fuck they want to be. And if I say anything right now, that is offensive. It's not my intent because I celebrate you fully and I'm open to learning. And I think that's a problem for a lot of my generation that we're like, you know, we raised these strong, independent kids and now they're out there doing it. And we're like, whoa, what are you doing? That's not, you know, you can't have both. Mm-hmm. I love you mentioned the ripple effect because it goes both ways that, yeah, it affects us traumatically, but it also in spreading the message. And I think we can both relate to that with um, the mental health work, right? If you change one person's life and the work that you do, that's totally enough for me because yeah. then the next time, the next time, the next time, and that you mentioned, you know, even myself, like I'm, I'm learning. That's why I started this podcast because I don't understand the world. I don't claim to be an expert in anything. I want to talk to people who live these, yeah. these lives, these stories, these experiences, and have an intimate conversation about it where it's open and non-judgmental and we can really talk about things um, and and I can learn from it and I can help hopefully help other people learn from it just by listening in. We've talked about the patriarchy and I wonder how the anti-anti-aging part of your story intertwines with this healing and, and to where you're at now. Yeah, I love that question too. Um, yeah, it it walked me to. I did a, a lot of work on my own generational wound healing. Um, I worked with a beautiful Indigenous grandmother who took me on this gorgeous journey through my ancestral lineage and very cool experience. And um, the whole anti aging thing. I think it really hit me strong one day when I was in the drugstore and I saw like the aisle has the you know, the signage above. And it, it actually, the whole aisle was actually called the anti-aging aisle. And I thought there's a whole aisle that's making me feel like shit about myself and telling me that I shouldn't age. And if I buy this cream, I won't have a wrinkle. And I'm like, what's wrong with that message? And it's all women's products. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Men don't have an anti-aging aisle. men are allowed to have gray hair and wrinkles and they become distinguished. Right. I used to hear it when I was working in the gym that the women would come to me and they'd say, you know, I got a, my husband, like 
ask me like, what's this and what's this and what's going on here? And I, and I'd say like, and what does he look like? Like, how come he's allowed to be gray with a pot belly and you're, you know, and you're not allowed to have a wrinkle or like, what's wrong with it? Like what messages have we been handed as women that we have to maintain this unrealistic, not attainable goal in order to be good enough. Right. And that message ripples all over the place. With, oh, it's you know, everywhere. That it's, yeah. And, and so, I mean, it all ties in it's undoing messages, but I find the, the effect on my own generation. And, and I actually did a little survey when I did on my Instagram and I said, like, you know, what do you think? Should I let it go? Like, should I let it go? And, and I did a poll and like my own age group was like, hell no. And everybody like 30 and down was like, yes, do it. Yes, do it. And I thought, wow, that's super interesting because what I came to find in everything I'm doing is that archetype of the wise woman elder is missing. Mm. She's missing in, in our society. And, you know, I started out by saying I'm claiming her back and I, and it didn't reach as far as when I changed the wording to anti anti aging, which touches everybody, but in effect, it's the same thing. Our society is missing the wise woman archetype and her lack is affecting those of us who should be sitting in that seat right now. And it's impacting our daughters that walk behind us because they don't have that wise woman to follow, to, to be, to embody, you know, to have embodied example by. And so I claim her back. I claim my seat as wise woman and with pride and celebration and knowing that it's not over for me, it's a whole new beginning, right? It's not nothing to be feared. And and there's nothing wrong with my wrinkles and my, my gray and, you know, so claiming her back, I think that if we claim back the archetype of the wise woman, it ripples very far. It ripples outwards to my own generation. It ripples down to those that follow us. And then they're receiving it. We, we can bridge that generation gap. We can bridge that gap where like the younger people are rolling their eyes at the older people and the older people are shaking their head at the younger people, because now we're working together, learning from each other. I can hand you, you know, I can give you a good example of that this year when I've, I've been diving deeply into my coaching work online and online for me is like, claiming my age on that. Like it's not my, and I worked in a gym for 20 years. Like I work on a computer. So learning the tech, like I, my daughter was helping me and, um, you know, there's like that baton that you can pass back and forth. I have years, 40 something years of wisdom of running a business that I can offer, but I can't offer it in a virtual setting. Cause it, I don't, it doesn't work. I have file cabinets and files and like, you know, but I have the wisdom of, of running a business. She has the wisdom of how to do it in a computer. And if we can put aside like eye rolling and head shaking and, you know, we can blend generations by working together and by claiming our seat where we're supposed to be sitting and owning that place we offer from a place of empowerment 
I can offer my wise woman years from a place of empowered wisdom because I've claimed my seat instead of denying it. Mm-hmm. And then she can receive it as such. And if we've opened that window, we can, she can offer to me and I can listen and, and learn. And, you know, same with pronouns. I know we didn't talk about pronouns until recently, right? You know, that's a head wrap. Sure. It's a head wrap, but you know, you, Hey, call yourself whatever you want. I'm you be you, right. It's not for me to, right. But we can bridge that gap if we claim our seat. And so I've, I found that need to reclaim the wise woman archetype is a key piece in healing all of it. I think all of it, I think it has to stem down, you know, and it can't stem down if we don't claim our seat and then give permission to everybody else behind us to claim theirs and to, you know, walk empowered instead of fearful. Mm-hmm. You talk about that wise woman archetype type, and it's so interesting. We talk, I talk a lot about representation and how much that matters in, in all sorts of different settings, whether it be the, you know, the LGBT Q plus community, uh, the black community, uh, Asian community, whatever it is, representation matters. And when I think about what you're saying on this wise woman, older elder woman, we see that represented maybe in indigenous cultures and media, in Eastern cultures and media. We don't see it in, in, you know, white culture, basically in, in our Western white society, that's not a thing. And it makes me think of this really, this sick idea that I have seen online. And you mentioned about men and, and aging, right? Like a lot of people find the, the 40 year old men, like very sexy and distinguished and experienced, but it really reminds me of all these. I've seen a lot of women say that when they were 15, 16, 17, 18, very young minors, they were sexualized head on. They were catcalled, And then once they hit 20, 21, 22, a lot of it went, it didn't all go away, of course, but a lot of it went away. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of the patriarchy that we almost coveted the, like, I don't know if it's around virginity or innocence or what it is in, in, ingrained in it. And then we, we admire the wise man. It's so For me, it's very perverted. Mm. And where is that? Where is she represented in? If you look at movies and you look at like, where is the older woman? You don't see the older woman. You don't see the very seldom. Like, do you see the older? In fact, I don't know if you've been seeing recently, like Sarah Jessica Parker took some some slack because they're doing a, a redo of Sex and the City. And and somebody was commenting that people commenting that she's like wrinkled and like, you know, normally if it wasn't her show, they probably would have replaced her with a young actress now to do the sex in the city part two, but because the older women's are not represented, like where is she, where is she when you're looking at representation, the only time you don't see, even in an anti-aging ad, the woman who's telling you to buy this cream is like this 30 year old, perfect skinned, you know, where's the old woman, the older woman with the wrinkles, like ask me to do the end, you know, Mm. or I buy the product because I'm celebrating my skin because it is Mm -hmm. changing. Mm -hmm. It is changing. That's just a thing. So I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to like nurture what it is, but the representation we don't have, you know, and it's the same as, 
like you said, like the LGBTQ or, or, or black, you know, you hear little kids who are seeking some kind of representation and it's the same for older women. There's the, there's no, there's nothing that tells us it's okay to be us. Or if, if there, it's an older woman, it's, it's Jennifer Lopez, it's Jennifer Aniston where they almost defy this, this process. And I think that would put a lot of pressure on, you know, I, I think about women I know, my mom, like the joke on their birthday. It's like, oh, it's my 20th anniversary of my 30th birthday, right? That almost yeah. you hit 30 that you have no value anymore in certain cases. And if you're not looking like Jennifer Lopez or Jennifer Aniston, that you are you are doing something wrong. Right. And like you have no more value. And I think that. And I did that for years. Like I like people who know me well, like when I first claimed this this title of anti-engineer, they were like sending me messages because I was the one who was 21 for years. Mm. We used to joke that like Barbie's been 21 for well over 21 years, right? Until I stopped to think about like, why was I saying that? Like, because society's told me that I don't want to get older. And then like, why not? It's actually a privilege. It's a privilege to get older. Like what's the alternative, right? You, you can't, Um, I posted this before, like you can't hope to live a long life and also not get older. Mm. It's a privilege that many don't get to have. Right. And, you know, that should be so celebrated and honored. And, you know, I have lots of experiences, like very little I haven't experienced. Right? There's wisdom in that. I am happy to answer questions to younger people or to like, I should claim that space. Right. And my wrinkles or gray hair don't make me of less value. I still have the same experience and the same wisdom and the same loving arms to hold you in and whatever, you know, it's not, it needs to be undone. Like so many messages, so many messages have been so Mm -hmm. damaging. Yeah. We talk about patriarchal messages. Like it's not just damaged women. It's damaged the guys too, you know? So many messages. Yeah. When we, I think of even uh, in in dating culture and, and, you know, older men going for younger women, because that's what we're supposed to want. Right. Like it's, I mean, that's just one example, but it does affect us all. And that's a message you and I share that the patriarchy hurts men too. Uh, It, it upholds a few men who make a lot of money and make a lot, have a lot of power but for the majority of us, yeah, it hurts us and it hurts us a lot. And when we look at rape culture, you have a whole gender of people who have been told not to show emotion, not to cry, not to like, it's not okay to do anything. So all of it's pent up, all of it's pent up, all of it's pent up. Where do you think it all comes from? It's, you know, it's bad messaging gone really bad, right? Like why shouldn't, why are little boys given messages like man up? What, what does that mean? You can't cry or you're not a real man or, or <laughs> this was a good one for me <laughs> when you when I realized like boys will call each other, well, don't be a pussy. Okay. So that, that disses the guy because that's making him like act like a girl, which means what to the girl? Mm-hmm. Well, there's, it's not good to be a girl, right? Because otherwise guys wouldn't be so fearful of being told they are one. Right. So everyone's damaged by that comment, everyone. And we just hear it so many times that we don't think about it, but it's 
going deeper, you know, mm-hmm. it's going deeper. It's going deeper. Without giving away all your secrets, because we'd love for people to contact you if they have more questions or, or need advice. What are sorts of things that, you know, especially women can do to not only change the conversation systemically, like the way it is, but also for themselves to rearrange their, the pattern of thought around aging and, uh, and everything. Sorry, my phone. That's okay. (laughs) It happens. Um, Yeah, that's a good one. I would, again, I would say like my biggest comment would be the answers and questions. So all the things that you just assumed were the way it's supposed to be, like my friend will say to me, it's just the way it is, Barbie. Ask yourself, is it though? (laughs) Like, Why is it just that way? You know, why is it that we should inject something in our face and, and, you know, do whatever's like, why that that doesn't, what's the why behind it? Right. And if the why behind it doesn't actually make sense in your body, if it's not like a full yes, like, you know, if, if somebody's saying to me, well, you should inject something in your face because that's just what you do. And I'm thinking, "Mm, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't have to be the way it is. So start questioning, start questioning all the things that you were just handed and didn't question. And, you know, these were things that I found in an ugly moment that pushed me to start seeing patriarchy everywhere. Right. Just start questioning what's wrong with a wrinkle. Really? Like when people say you don't want wrinkles, how come? What's well, because it doesn't make you beautiful. Well, let's look at what is beauty then. Like, let's redefine what the industry has told us beauty is because I think there's a lot of beauty I mean, think of your like grandma, right? Like you thought she was beautiful, right? Right? Like there's beauty in the face that shows a life of story and has wisdom in it. And there's, you know, just whatever the the thing is that is not feeling like a full yes to you, that's actually causing you a bit of anxiety inside. It doesn't have to be that way. That's a uh, very wise words. And I know I'm not struggling with wrinkles yet, but... I am balding. Um, and for me, that's a, a big insecurity. And that's something I'm trying to work through myself right now. And that, uh, that part of aging for me, like I'm like wrinkles, no problem, but my hair, I'm a redhead. I'm my, my life in red. Uh, my, my Instagram handle is big red Ryan. Like my red hair is my identifying feature and I'm yeah. gonna lose it. Nah. <laughs> yeah, I, I you got the mustache. Still here. And there's a red, there's fire in a redheaded person. So <laughs> it's always with you. But again, I would say to you, like the balding thing, like, why is it not okay? Like, what's wrong with it, really, when you come right down to it, like a wrinkle? Like we've been told you don't want to go bald, you don't want to get old, you don't want to get wrinkles. Why not? Actually, why not? What's what's actually wrong with it? Mm-hmm. This has been a super fascinating conversation. And I feel like we could talk for probably hours. Uh, <laughs> like God. I just, I get that energy. It's just, there's so much there. And I, there's so much I probably could have asked that I didn't, but um, we'll have to do it again sometime. But yeah, I don't definitely. Keep you forever. Uh, if people want to, I know you, you do Instagram lives a lot. You offer a lot of amazing content. Where do they find you? How can they get in touch if they need to? Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, through Instagram for sure. It's um, underscore Barbie Liz. 
Um, I have a website, barbielist.com. Um, you can email me. It's also, it's barbie at barbielist.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. I love to have the conversation. So definitely if anyone feels called to coaching or just a conversation, like, please feel free to reach out. I'm always here for it. Perfect. Um, this was amazing. Again, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to uh, hold space and just uh, learn more about you and this story. And uh, I definitely look forward to working with you with Unsinkable and, uh, mm-hmm. and everything uh, moving forward. It's quite exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.